Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Tech News Today is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. is Tech News Today for Monday, April 4th, 2011. Tech News Today is brought to you by Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes and movies. Stream to your PC, Mac, or TV instantly. Plus, get DVDs by mail in about one business day. For your free 30-day trial, go to netflix.com slash twit. Welcome to Tech News Today. I'm Tom Merritt. I'm Sarah Lane. I'm Darren Kitchen. And I'm Jason Howell. As is the show, we kick around the tech news of the day. Uh, joining us today is the brand new editor-in-chief of Engadget.com, Mr. Tim Stevens. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you very much for having me. I'm sorry, on the, the video version of the podcast, uh, you won't be able to see Tim, uh, because in his new role as editor-in-chief, he's, he, he wants to maintain secrecy. Uh, he, <laughs> except he has, for this photo as a brand no we just couldn't get skype working <laughs> on our end uh so uh but but thanks for persisting through all the troubleshooting before the show hey thanks for your patience yeah no problem uh we uh also uh in the audience mr dale chase nerdcore rapper oh. hey we don't really have hey, a good dale camera chase. on him but thanks for thanks for coming out yeah trust us he's right there all and uh in the audience, maybe some people who are really pissed off at Friday's show. So I want to take a real quick moment uh, a to, to at least minorly defend ourselves. Uh, we know that on April 1st, there aren't a lot of stories mm-hmm. because everybody's doing April Fool's There stories. are a lot of stories that are uncoverable. Exactly. They're all April Fool's stories. Yes. Uh, so not a lot of news happened. The only thing that happened uh, was the Liza Moon attacks uh, mm-hmm. began. And honestly, that was the only story that I regret not doing a regular show. But instead of doing a fake news show, we thought we'd do something more interesting. So we stepped back five years to April 1st, 2006, did a straight story on stories from that day. All true. All researched. Uh, we made one mistake. I guess the Simpsons movie didn't come out till 2007. So it was the wrong year. Mm. Uh, and there was one story that was dated April 4th, although uh, the story happened in time for an April 1st show if we'd been doing one. Uh, but we, we really wanted to do a show that was a commentary on how, how little things have changed in some ways in the past five years uh, instead of doing a show where we just covered, you know, Gmail motion. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I understand that April 1st can be, uh, can feel, I don't know, can take it out of you. Yeah. After an entire day maybe of reading bad news stories, you didn't want to sit down and watch TNT and have it not be a straight show about that day's news. You wouldn't have got a whole lot anyway if we'd done it that way. That's my point. So right. most of the people, I'd say 70% of the people love the show. For those 30% who are like, I'm never watching again, well, you're not watching. Uh, and, and for the, the other part who are like, I really didn't like that, we hear you. Uh, and, and maybe next time, sort of a disclaimer or something, because maybe they just didn't like getting fooled. Mm. All right, on to uh, our first story of the day, uh, which is... Tim Stevens, uh, you are now the new Engadget Editor-in-Chief. Congratulations. Congrats, Tim. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm thrilled. Uh, you, now, you've been with Engadget since, well, from, from the beginning or pretty close to the beginning, right? Uh, no, I've been with Engadget for about three years now. So the summer of 2008 is when I started. Oh, okay. So you're, you're a little little farther off than, than I had remembered. Uh, but you've, you've been around through several regimes uh, what 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 are your plans for the site now in the in the Stevens era? N- not a lot of big changes, right? <laughs> you're not you're not going to change topics or anything. 
No, absolutely not. The, the, really, the uh, the big goal right now is just to get back to uh, to what we've always done best, which is covering the news and doing uh, great reviews and that kind of thing as well. So, uh, no, absolutely no changes for uh, a better plan right now. No big changes anyway. We do have some uh, some enhancements and streamlines and things that we want to do down the road. <clears throat> but for the moment, no, we're not really planning on making any changes at all. And you've got a, you've got a lot of personnel changes. Uh, how does that affect your strategy and 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 the people that you've got to work with? Uh, it's definitely a challenge. Uh, I, I won't lie to you. We uh, we have lost uh, quite a few people who were uh, you know integral parts of the team, uh, but we've also brought on some amazing people over the past few weeks, who are really stepping up and amazing us already with uh, the content that they can produce. So right now, you know, we have to focus a little bit on uh, training to get these people up to speed on you know the the content management system that we use and and the way that we cover news and that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, we may be a little bit slower for the next uh, couple of weeks when we bring these people up to speed, but, uh, but ultimately, uh, the team is as strong as ever was as far as, far as I'm concerned. And, uh, as far as I'm concerned, we should be able to do the same thing that we've always done just as well. Now, Josh Topolsky had been hosting the, the Engadget show. Is that going to, to continue now? Yeah, the show will be continuing. Uh, we're discussing what kind of format that we want to go, whether we want to stick with the same format that we had before or whether we want to maybe change it up a little bit. Uh, but the show will definitely be continuing, yeah. Will we see, still see Josh and Eli and those guys guesting? Uh, not sure at this point. Okay. Um, we also had a story today that uh, AOL had let go of, of some of the freelancers and was going to a model where they, they want to have everybody in-house, so they're bringing some of the freelancers in. Uh, it, how does that affect Engadget? Because I know Engadget has used a lot of freelancers in the past. Right. We, we've, we're actually uh, in the process of moving away from that somewhat, but we do still have some freelancers, and we've been told that um, the ones that we have are not affected by this move at all. Basically, we've been told by AOL that, that we can you know, more or less do what we want to do. Uh, because we are a successful property and they don't really want to try to mess that up. You know, it's it's not broke, so they shouldn't try to fix it. Um, so as far as I know right now, we're, we're not affected by this directly. Yeah, the report I read that said it was more the business and finance areas of content uh, that, that were being affected by that. Uh, and then um, put, taking you a little bit off the hot seat and moving on to the other half of this story is uh, Josh Topolsky uh, announced that he is going to start a new tech site at SB Nation. SB Nation started with the site Athletics Nation, which was a f- fan site for the Oakland Athletics run by the guys who ran Daily Koss, uh, the, the political site. As, and it has blown up into this huge sports blog network. And I guess they're going to expand now into a bunch of other other areas, including technology. Uh, Josh Topolsky, along with Neelai Patel and a few other former Engadget folks, uh, are going to be joining along with that. Uh, Sarah, what do you what do you think? Um, I mean, it's kind of amazing how Athletics Nation, which is something that you you were familiar with as an A's fan, which doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's grown a lot. I mean, as CEO, Bancroft has expanded the network to, what, 300 blogs. They have 400, more than that, paid writers. Um, they've acquired uh, some other entities as well. I, I mean, this uh, and, and SB Nation is conveniently doesn't really sound like anything. I mean, it's not really about sports necessarily unless you know that it's supposed to stand for sports blog. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the, this is this sort of thing is exciting to me. I mean, it's it's um, they're obviously going to uh, put a lot of time and energy into a tech trajectory. Uh, they've got some extremely talented people who have signed on, and I'm excited to see where it leads. 
Yeah, uh, Topolsky said on his blog, uh, this isn't just about sports or tech or lone silos. We want we build together. It's SB Nation is a new media company, buoyed by the absolutely incredible work at SB Nation. And part of that new media company will be the as yet unnamed gadget and technology site. Uh, this is this is not new. Uh, Pete Rojas and, and Ryan Block left in gadget. In fact, they're uh, they're both considered. I believe they're both considered emeritus. Is that right, Tim? That's correct. Uh, and, and they run Gadget, GDGT.com. It's kind of a different spin on Gadget. Uh, Tim, wh- how do you view this this new thing, given what we know about it? We don't really know how, what form it's going to take yet. Right. We absolutely don't know uh, the details of what exactly it's going to look like. But from what we're hearing so far, I mean, it certainly does sound uh, like a pretty traditional Gadget blog, at least, you know, for the main part, I'm sure there will be some other enhancements and additions and new things and exciting things that they bring to the table uh, that maybe we haven't seen before. I know the community is a big part of SB Nation. The community is a big thing that they want to bring into this as well. Is it, uh, but is, really, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, is it something that you think can coexist with Engadget, or do you see it as more of a direct competitor? Uh, the hope is that we can coexist, absolutely. I mean, these guys are, are all part of the Engadget family. I mean, we are all a hugely tight group of people. Uh, we're all great friends. And so, you know, the hope is that we can all coexist and, and, and maintain that friendship. Uh, whether or not that happens, of course, remains to be seen. But, uh, I mean, there are a multitude of tech sites out there, and it's not like readers can't visit multiple sites in any given day. So I'm absolutely op- optimistic that uh, that we can uh, can coexist peacefully. Tim, rumor has it that Arianna Huffington is a big um, believer in people all being in a, a newsroom physically together. Um, yes. In this day and age of people not doing that, especially at Engadget, and I know that you uh, live somewhere somewhere outside of New York City, uh, where I would assume the newsroom would be. Does that change how you're going to do your job? Uh, I will probably be visiting New York City uh, more than. Uh, and I had otherwise, I mean, previously I exclusively worked from home and I very rarely came to the city. Uh, as of now, I'm expecting to be in the city more often. Um, but Engadget has always worked very well with the distributed workforce. I mean, we are all over the place. We are, we're in Amsterdam, London, um, you know, all over the place. And that's what makes us work, uh, being distributed and being able to get to these events that pop up all over the place and get to them quickly. Uh, so again, I think that gets back to the to the idea that you know if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And and right now, I think we're doing well with our distributed model. Uh, I, I do know that that I will probably be making some appearances in the the New York City headquarters here, basically just to to you know keep an eye on how things are going and talk with uh, the other you know AO properties and that kind of thing. Uh, but for the majority of our staff, uh, no, I certainly don't expect that we're going to be trying to move everybody to New York City to uh, to work out of the offices here. I don't think that would work for us. I, th- I think that this is going to be uh, an interesting experiment to see if if that feeling that they capture in those sports blogs can be translated over to other enthusiast eras, areas like technology, like hacking. Right, so for somebody who, like me who doesn't follow this sports blog, what does that really mean? What's that magic that you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, so when I was an uh, A's season ticket holder, uh, I was in the depths of you know following the A's all the time. Uh, and Athletics Nation was the one place where they built it for the fans. They said, what, what do the, the hardcore fans of the A's really care about? Let's talk about that. That's the stuff you don't read in the sports papers because the sports reporters are out there playing the game. 
you know, saying, well, you don't ask a player that. You don't ask a player this. Uh, the sports reporters aren't talking about the fate of the drummers up in the bleachers and why they've disappeared for some games. You know, they, these are the questions that the fans in the stands actually have and want to know who really follow the team. And they, they talked about that and they interviewed fans and they, they were able to get an interview with Billy Bean who loved the site. He loved to be able to reach out directly to the people and not go through uh, so many filters. And I, and I think that it resonated with people and they felt like they were part of a community uh and and that's what sb nation is good at i can totally see how that could potentially translate to tech because tech is a community just like sports enthusiasts i think if there's any um area that could be even half as rabid as an area that sports fanatics are in it is tech fanatics. I don't know. I mean, has anybody really been fanatical oh, about gosh. like iPhones or? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have reader, reader meetups uh, <laughs> a couple times a year, and we bring thousands and thousands of our readers uh, to these events. And yeah, they're absolutely very rabid. Uh, I mean, we have people there showing us their hacks, uh, the colors, for example. Uh, you know, all the cracks that they're doing on the Nokia devices. You know, all the cool stuff, and they bring it out, and that just you know amazes with the stuff that they're doing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we see that already at Engadget with all the, the events where we're, you know, going out to the readers and having these events to, to, to bring them together. So there's definitely that community there, uh, for sure. Yeah, there's a, a series of tech teams, if you will, and big rivalries. Oh, yeah, and there are fans, <laughs> boys and girls, for all of those teams. Yep. Uh, I, I could see that, you know, I could see a PlayStation Nation blog. I could see an iPhone Nation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you could. There's plenty of Linux Nation blogs already. Team uh, and, and and I and I do I do think that you know there's there's a qu- another question we need to address here, which is Josh uh, Topolsky in, in his blog said something about one he he believes SB Nation is committed uh, to real journalism. I, I I don't have the exact words right in front of me right now, but but not a slam on the AOL way, but definitely you know very enthusiastically talking up what SB Nation is doing as the way he wants to do business. Uh, versus being in a in a, a corporate situation, and 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 that's another thing we see a lot where folks are are building new versions of media from the ground up based on the conditions of the web today. We've seen this over and over and over. CNET, when I was there, was often considered old media, even though it had been launched in the mid nineties uh, and was in, and owns like all the obvious domain names because they bought them they got them when they were free. Yeah, like radio.com and kids.com. Uh, but it's it's so amazing how fast things can change and how hard it is to continue to adapt once you've put your procedures in place. And you're like, this is how we do things. So, you know, CNET was considered old media and that they were threatened by Gizmodo and Engadget uh, because they were taking advantage of the blogging platform. Uh, and now I think, you know, I think what, what they're banking on with SB Nation is this is a way to start from the ground up again and not and be able to escape some of the strictures of the previous form that was built. The actual Topolsky uh, uh, quote is, beyond the technology and possibly more important than the technology, there's another factor here that's driving my decision. It's that SB Nation believes in real, independent journalism and the potential for new media to serve as an answer and an antidote to big publishing houses and SEO spam, a point we couldn't be more aligned on. Yeah, and, and a lot of people t- t- talk that way about SEO. I mean, I has, has talked about that way to me about, you know, the frustrations of dealing with SEO when you're in a situation where that becomes important. And I ran into that at CNET as well, where there was a tension. Uh, and different editorial departments deal with it in different ways. Uh, but that brings me back to my, my point about SB Nation being, at least, you know, in the past... Uh, 
plugged into what is good for the fans, what is good for the audience. Mm-hmm. Let's do that. Let's build our audience on that. And then let's try to make our money around that. Uh, and I think a lot of corporations, especially older media, and when I say this, I'm talking media from the 90s and before, uh, so old, mm-hmm. uh, they are of the mind that you figure out how to make the money and build your content around that. And I think that's what frustrates a lot of journalists. Josh Sapolsky has also been vocal that uh, AOL was not getting in the way of uh, Engadget editorial. Um, right. He simply I, I, I feel like I should, I should st- speak up here and say that um, I don't really know what independent means, quote unquote, that, that we are not able to deliver. Our focus is absolutely on the readers, on the fans and pleasing them is all that we're interested in doing. I mean, we're not really looking at budgets. We're not really looking at traffic where we see that stuff, but we're focused on content and keeping the readers happy. And um, uh, as you're just saying, sir, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, uh, AOL has not tried to uh, not trying to interfere with the way that we generate content or the type of content that we do generate. Uh, and I think that that shows on the site and it's going to continue to show on the site. Yeah, and I think that's and that's what needs to be done. That's what has to be done to, to, to keep your content fresh and to keep your, your business focused on, on what has to happen. Uh, so that, that's good to hear, Tim. And, and I, I imagine you probably wouldn't have been uh, very eager to take the role if that wasn't the case. No, uh, and I'll, you know, I'll say right here, as soon as that starts to happen, if AOL ever does try to interfere with content, I mean, yeah, that's absolutely not a position that I want to be in. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I'm here for the readers uh, to give them the content that they want. And, uh, you know, I'm not interested in doing any sort of SEO spam uh, or anything like that. I mean, obviously, we do look at search engine optimization. Uh, I think everybody does. Um, but that's not saying, you know, we're not running uh, posts like, you know, top 10 iPad tips for Justin Bieber, you know, things like that, trying to get traffic. That's not a game that we play, and it's not a game that we're going to play. All right. Let's move on to uh, Google building up their patent portfolio. Uh, Google has bid $900 million for the Nortel uh, patent portfolio to start off what is called a stocking horse auction. Uh, in other words, outside parties are now free it's to the out, opening bid. outbid Google. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Google wants Nortel's patents uh, because they're cheap. Nortel is in, are they in bankruptcy? Yeah. And, sell off, yeah. And, and so, you know, you can you can get stuff for cheap. It's a going out of business sale for yeah. Nortel. This is also 6,000 or so patents. So, I mean, it's not 10. And I was talking to a guy from Google uh, over the weekend who was saying he's constantly trying to encourage folks to patent more things. And Google has this attitude of, well, we don't want to patent that. We want people to be able to use it. We don't want to hoard this stuff. But that's not the way the game is played. Right. Uh, so this is one way for Google to sort of not feel like, you know, they're, they're totally missing the boat. Just go out and buy your armory and say, you know, we'll fight the patent wars with, with Nortel's patents. That'll, that'll get us stockpiled up well. Although it seems like uh, the convenience that you save by not filing patents, uh, you make up for in uh, loss of money. Uh, you know, almost a billion dollars worth of trying to buy patents that someone might even outbid you. Although, who would outbid Google? Microsoft? I mean, there's only a... Well, I guess it depends on what your intentions were. A few companies we could even be talking about, right? Right. I mean, I guess it depends on what your intentions were to use these patents. I mean, if you're only thinking about using them as a shield so that, you know, others can't sue you, then uh, how does that stack up against if you were to, say, buy these to go after a whole bunch and try to use them to make money? Well, in that case, it's probably worth a lot more. Yeah, the cost of defending your patents might might pay for itself mm-hmm. uh, in that. And, t- and, and Tim, Google's sitting on a pile of money, aren't they? Oh, a huge amount of money. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they have uh, vast resources. I wouldn't dare try to quote a figure right now, but uh, yeah, and absolutely the question about legal defenses versus, uh, you know, defending yourself versus purchasing these up front. I think that's a, a very good point. I think that's, you know, probably goes a long way to explaining what they're looking to do here. 
Also, a lot of you may have noticed in your email today, one, two, maybe a dozen or more emails from companies saying, yeah, we uh, were contracting with folks called Epsilon uh, to maintain some email lists. And, well, Epsilon got hacked. Uh, the Epsilon said it detected an incident in which clients' customer data were exposed by an unauthorized entry into their email system. Uh, so Best Buy, TiVo, Walgreens, Capital One, Citigroup, J.P. Morgan Chase, the list goes on. Kroger. If you go Krogering and they have your email address, hmm. now the yeah. hackers have it too. They have like something like 2,500-some-odd uh, 2, clients, so a lot of people using them to do their email blasts. I've gotten two emails, one from Best Buy, one from TiVo so far. You know, I opt out of almost any email notification or list I might possibly be on, with the exception of Walgreens, because I use their automate, automated refills in their pharmacy. I didn't hear from Walgreens today. I don't know if that's because their pharmacy is Maybe on some sort different. of different system, yeah, yeah. and Epsilon isn't handling marketing for really private information, like that sort of thing. That would but make sense, actually. I haven't heard a peep from Walgreens, so I'm going to assume everything is fine. Right. This is a great reason to be using a separate email address for those non-critical uh, things like that. You know, have your mm-hmm. personal email, your business email, and then, you know, you're kind of your junk spam email. Tim, right, did you get any of these? it just was uh, names and addresses. It wasn't any other information. Uh, I did not get any personally. No, thankfully, uh, I uh, was not a subscriber to any of these services. However, I was watching our tips inbox this morning, and uh, we certainly got a lot of tips from readers who who received many. We got dozens and dozens of tips on on, on this topic. So yeah, we got a lot of effective users. We got several our, our, ourselves, and some of them uh, were saying things like, you know, I think hacking is going up. I've got all of these emails from different companies, and it was funny. <laughs> it's like so, some of these companies were out up front saying, hey. We contract with these Epsilon guys, and they got hacked. So, you know, your email. And others were very vague, like, a uh, data breach has occurred. No, don't worry. Uh, and they didn't tell you. So so they almost did could have appeared to be from, from different sources. Uh, of course, but, one of them was Chase Bank, which makes people very nervous. I mean, obviously, this is a very different system from any of their banking systems. But, uh, but still, that's, you know, when your bank sends you an email about a data breach, that's something that makes you... Uh, open up that email pretty quickly yeah mm-hmm. well spear phishing is, is a is a big issue uh these days in fact wired has a as a story today uh about how condonast themselves uh got spear by somebody pretending to be quad graphics the company that prints the magazines and eight million dollars got transferred to a guy yeah apparently he was familiar enough with what they owed quad graphics in order to be able to send an email that looked very similar, calling itself Quad Graph, which, yeah. you know, if you're in a hurry and you're in accounts payable over at Condé Nast, you might not even notice. Um, he never actually got money out of this, these accounts that uh, some money had been transferred into. Apparently, Condé Nast was able to get back half of it that they had already transferred. So it was still sitting there, and I assume that he was just waiting to, for a certain amount of time to go by before he was like, I think I'm in the clear. I'm going yeah, to retrieve yeah, it. Yeah. But they found him because his name was attached. Now, to he hasn't account. actually been charged with anything, but there is a, uh, a, a suit of forfeiture, and that's how this became public uh, and how Wired was able to report on it because Condon asked who owns Wired isn't telling Wired anything about it either. Yeah, mm-hmm. it doesn't look good. I mean, the whole idea behind spear phishing is basically it's, it's not spam. It's specifically targeted towards you, and it's going to try to break that inherent trust that you have with the computer or at least the person on the other end of the computer. And if you can mimic all of the procedures enough, you can potentially convince you know some high-level people to do some things that they aren't necessarily supposed to be doing. 
All right, let's say you $8 million. Let's take a quick break. Uh, Thank our sponsor, Netflix, delivering movies directly to your homes. You guys know about Netflix. They send you DVDs, but they also do streaming online. You can instantly watch thousands of TV episodes and movies streamed directly to your PC or Mac uh, or streamed to your TV. If you've got an Xbox 360, a PS3, or a Nintendo Wii, you can stream Netflix movies right to your television right now. There's lots of other ways to do the streaming and get DVDs by mail in about a business day. Uh, Watch as many movies as you want once you pay the subscription. It's not a per movie or per episode fee. Uh, there are never any late fees, no due dates. So uh, try it out for 30 days for free at netflix.com slash twit. Uh, if you're into... The, we've got a lot of hacking stories today. You might want to start watching The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the the original <laughs> versions. Uh, and the, you know, oh, the original hackers. See yeah. young Angelina Jolie on roller skates. We're just into the cyberpunk genre. I just completed like the entire standalone complex series of uh, Ghost in the Shell. That and the second gig. The second gig is kind of better. So there you go. you got a few choices. Check them out. Netflix.com slash twit to get that first uh, free trial. On to how to defeat Liza Moon. Liza Moon uh, was the one story uh, that we probably would have done if we hadn't done the 2006 episode on on Friday. Uh, Liza Moon attack was first detected by security firm WebSense on March 29th. Initially infected about 28,000 websites with the SQL injection attack. Uh, that was a lot. But by late on April 3rd, Google was reporting that more than 4 million web pages were showing links to the domains involved in the attack. So that means over 100,000, hundreds of thousands of sites were infected with this. The first rogue domain appearing was lizamoon.com, hence the name. 27 other domains were used as redirection points. And essentially what it would do is once you hit one of those infected pages, it would redirect you to a virus scanning page. So So if you were in Internet Explorer on Windows, it could look very much like you were having a real scan going on if you weren't paying close enough attention. You know, your your average casual user might not notice. Yeah, but what it's going to do once you follow through all of that stuff is that it's going to try to send you an executable and, you know, you know, try to convince you to run it. And you should never be doing that. And, of course, you know, if you're not running that, I don't know, this is just... Silly, you know. The, the, I find the more interesting part of this hack not the oh, we're going to send them to a whole bunch of you know social engineering sites that just try to get them to you know ro- run a Trojan horse. It's it's more interesting this SQL injection attack that went from uh, twenty eight thousand websites and then four days later it's on you know four million or as as of Google and uh, and that the only thing that these sites really had in common uh, were that they were kind of smaller websites and. Um, not that they had like, oh, this version of Apache or this version of Microsoft IIS in common. So, yeah, that really cool. The folks over at PC Mag had a nice little summary for how to make sure that Liza Moon does not affect you. Number one, don't let your browser con you into thinking that some kind of action is magically happening on your system. Number two, don't trust this magical action if it takes less than 30 seconds to do. Uh, or otherwise looks unknown to you. And three, run an up-to-date virus scanner in the background of your system. And you're okay. Uh, maybe that would have uh, protected RSA from being hacked and having their second factor authentication database exposed. Uh, we still don't know what information was got from RSA, uh, but they have revealed what, how the hack was perpetrated on them. They said it was very sophisticated. Uh, Darren, let me know if you think this sounds okay, let's, let's sophisticated. How do, how do uh, they sent two groups of email to low-profile, uh, non-senior employees at the company. So, you know, like low-level low accounting folks, people in HR, stuff like that. Yeah, again, spear, on phishing, the spear phishing attacks, some, some users that may not be computer buffs. The emails contained an Excel spreadsheet attachment entitled 2011 Recruitment Plans. They were marked as junk by the uh, by the system uh, but one employee 
retrieved it from the junk file and opened it. The spreadsheet contained a Flash movie uh, and took advantage of a zero-day exploit uh, and a weakness in Adobe Flash, which has since been patched, but they were able to use that exploit to um, uh, install a, a RAT or a remote administration tool or remote access toolkit, Trojan, whatever you want to call it. Right. You uh, they, use, they used Poison Ivy. Yeah, you got to live those zero days because that's what's going to allow you to do what's called remote code execution, where just by opening that file and there be, this being an Excel file and just there being some uh, Adobe Flash inside, um, it going ahead and running some information on your computer. Now, your computer, in this case, if you're an HR, probably not having a whole lot of administrative rights over the whole network. I'm, I'm imagining the RSA knows how to secure their network to the point where you know somebody in HR doesn't have access to, I don't know, sensitive data involving uh, the uh, the seeds and the sequences to, to create the random numbers that they use. Right. They, but once they were inside the network, they were able to get, gather some login credentials uh, from those low-level accounts and then escalate their privileges and gain access to the secure and systems. And that's typical is to do the privilege escalation on, you know, you, you get those low-hanging fruit and then you start pivoting through the network, um, you know, trying to, uh, you know, grab, say, for instance, an administrator logs into uh, a... Um, HR person, you know, that's been infected machine, say they have like, um, they need to do some remote assistance. And they're like, oh, hey, I'm having some problems with blah, blah, blah. And the administrator logs in. Well, then all of a sudden there's this token on your machine from that administrator and you can kind of like recycle those tokens. So there's there's different ways that, you know, hackers use to kind of escalate throughout the network. And then just because they got some low hanging fruit, sometimes they can just work their way up the tree. It's also kind of smart how uh, it was... Uh an Excel spreadsheet marked 2011 recruitment plans. So even if it was junk, you were like, oh, no, oh, no, no. no. <laughs> I need to know this. Yep. Recruiting who? Yeah. At our company. Right. Which is why, you know, uh, actually RSA has not said what areas of the company were targeted, but the name of the file makes you think, eh, it might have been somebody in personnel somewhere. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Sony's CEO, Howard Stringer, is taking the place of Eric Schmidt. You know, Eric Schmidt steps down today as CEO of Google, and Howard Stringer is taking his place saying crazy stuff. Uh, according to uh, an article on uh, CNET, yesterday uh, Stringer was speaking to Walt Mossberg from the Wall Street Journal at, at, a, at a speech, right? And said, our best sensor technology is built in one of the tsunami-affected factories. Those go to Apple for their iPhones or iPads. Isn't that something? They buy our best sensors from us. Well, people in the crowd started putting two to two together and said, wait a minute, Omnivision has provided the image sensors for the iPhone 4, uh, but there have been rumors that Apple was switching to Sony, and Apple might have been looking at Sony's Exmor R 8-megapixel sensors, which are found in the new Sony Ericsson Xperia Arc and the Neo smartphone. Uh, Tim, do you, do you think that he let slip a goof here, that Sony's going to be providing the camera for the next iPhone? It's pretty hard to imagine Howard Stringer uh, not knowing, you know, who was purchasing the camera sensors. So, uh, it, but it's also, you know, pretty hard to imagine him letting slip something like this. Uh, it, it seems like a, a legit lead to me. I mean, the unfortunate news, of course, is that the, the actual story here is that those sensors are being delayed. Um, so, you know, even if they are going to the next iPhone, uh, perhaps the next iPhone is now being delayed because of these sensors. We've also heard uh, talk that maybe iOS 5 they're having some issues with. Um, but yeah, I mean, it certainly seems reasonable. And that sensor in the Xperia Arc does amazing photography. And we reviewed that not too long ago, and uh, the pictures were fantastic. So that's actually, you know, very good news if that is the sensor that's being uh, being used. Yeah, it's, I guess it's good news and bad news, depending on if this if, if this is what people surmise it is. Good news about yeah, the camera, yeah. 
bad yeah. news that we might not get the phone. There and like you said, there have already been rumors that the phone would be delayed for other reasons. And this would explain it. Yeah. Uh, also, Stringer said to Japan's Nikkei uh, that the company's first Android 3.0 tablet will be on sale by the end of summer. Uh, better yet, it'll pop for retail in the United States first, according to this report. And then Sony later told Japanese site AV Watch that it will release the tablet before the end of the year, not summer. So we don't know if the if the AV Watch report is referring to Japan. It would get it before the end of the year, or if they were trying to correct Stringer uh, and 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 keep him from allowing it to be out by summer. But either way, it looks like we're going to see a Sony tablet. I really love yeah, the idea that. That uh, Howard Stringer might just not be able to keep a secret. So it's not that he's talking crazy. He just, <laughs> ask him. He'll tell you. He can't help it. I'm sorry I said that, but it's true. It's true. I can't keep a secret. I'm so excited <laughs> about the tablet and the sensors. Don't ask me anything. Uh, yeah, so and, and Gadget's done a lot of good uh, reporting. I know Thomas Ricker has covered this before about what that tablet would look like, Tim. Right, it's a very crazy design. It's kind of a folded top on the back. Uh, we, we've, you know, speculated that perhaps there might be shoulder buttons up there. Maybe this will be the first PlayStation certified tablet to kind of pick up on, uh, you know, the smartphone uh, experience that they're starting to do now. Uh, it's hard to tell. It could just simply be an easier way to hold the thing one-handed while you're, uh, you know, swiping away uh, at your browser or whatnot. But it's a very interesting design from what we've seen. Uh, we're, of course, very eager to see what it looks like in, in hardware. And our uh, final bit of discussion today, uh, Anonymous has gone on the attack against Sony uh, to protest the lawsuit against George Hotz. Uh, they, they've, they've put up a, uh, a, a manifesto about Sony's corrupt business practices being indicative of a corporate philosophy that would deny consumers the right to use products. Uh, PlayStation.com has been up and down uh, for most of the day. Sony says it's because of sporadic maintenance. Well, I guess you have to do sporadic maintenance when you're under a DDoS attack. That would that means so they both might be true. Absolutely, and it looks like you know in the manifesto they go on to you know explain how am, uh, how anonymous feels that the lawsuits are unforgivable a unforgivable offense against free speech and the internet freedom and uh, privacy uh, sources for free lulls and well you know how anonymous feels about the lulls and there there's there's been a group uh, from anonymous that's sort of uh, splintered off uh, because they feel like going after things like Sony uh, are less morally pure than going after targets like. Scientology or or the WikiLeaks folks, um, but you know, so that's a, it's a little side story to this. I know no nobody wants to say anything about anonymous. I don't blame you. Yeah, I mean, what <laughs> until else of is course, Sony gonna say? Well, of course, anonymous, anonymous. splits off into enough groups that it's anonymous versus anonymous. <laughs> anonymous is keeping us busy. Everyone, hold yes. tight. Tim, do do you uh, do you maintain a, a, a arm's length distance from anonymous stories? Uh, we obviously uh, cover them when they, um, you know, swing within the the range that we cover. Um, so I think this is is not quite what we would uh, cover. Basically, honestly, we, we've gotten a, a little bit. Um, we're kind of waiting to see where the Jihad story goes uh, before we cover it too much because you know there are updates every day, going back and forth. Yeah. And uh, honestly, I'm not sure how closely people really want to. Uh, want to cover it. Uh, all I'll say it's kind of unfortunate that um, that these console hacks tend to lead to the ability to play uh, copied games. I wish that we could do more, uh, you know, hackery on the PS3, that kind of thing. Yeah. That didn't defeat, um, you know, copy production, that kind of thing, because, you know, it's a, it's a, a powerful piece of hardware that people could be doing crazy things with. And it is unfortunate that it's as locked down as it is. 
It'll be interesting to see on April 16th if the attack uh, actually contains the real-world component of Operation Sony. As they say, Anonymous wants people to go ahead and gather at their local Sony stores to complain in person, thus nullifying the whole Anonymous bit, I guess. Well, they could wear their masks. Yeah, they wear the Guy Fox masks. Oh, I guess that's what I'm going Never know. Hey. So could rip it off. Dig out your Guy Fox masks. That's right. On to the news fuse. <laughs> Withinwindows.com is reporting that Microsoft is testing a new interface for Windows 8. Screenshots show a ribbon similar to that in Microsoft Office or Windows, uh, except happening in Windows Explorer, which is Microsoft's file browser application. Also seen as a new welcome screen, which looks a lot like Windows Phone and even has an unlock ability. Mm. Mm. Cable, Cable Vision introduced its new iPad app, which gives subscribers video on demand and 300 channels. And they say the app won't have the same problems as Time Warner's app has been having with the network since Cablevision already has contracts that would allow this kind of streaming. You can have up to three iPads registered, but only two will be able to stream video at the same time. Sprint is building its own service that will allow payments via NFCs, and it's supposed to roll out this year. Now, the other carriers, AT&T and Verizon, they've got a competing NFC payment system called ISIS, which won't launch until next year. Now, Sprint, of course, is tinkering with it to try to find some ways to make money of their own, selling coupons or just doing some targeting advertising. Everybody's getting an NFC. Last year, the FCC made some net neutrality rules that Verizon and Metro PCS both opposed in court. The wireless companies said the rules went well beyond any authority provided by Congress, but those lawsuits have been tossed out. It's not because net neutrality rules are bulletproof. Instead, the case was thrown out because of a timing issue. Uh, the rules have to be published in the Federal Register before you can object to them. So we'll wait till they're published in the Federal Register, and then Verizon and Metro PCS will come back and object to them, and then we'll find out what the court thinks of this. Sounds fun. Oh, it's going to be fun. It sounds like a lot of fun. Twitter's added some new enhancements to their search functionality that actually allow you to find things more easily. As Engadget reports, you don't need the specific names of users to find to be able to search what they posted about. There's also an advanced search where you can add a smiley emoticon to get upbeat posts and a frowny face to get sad ones. I haven't tested it out to see if it works That's well. That's so cute. Yeah. But I... Uh, it's not really that cute. How often are you guys actually searching Twitter anyway? Well, you know, I've stopped searching because yeah. it is just a bunch of noise. I generally, if I were looking for a particular post, I would go to Google. But yeah. it, uh, the only absolutely. time I'm searching is when I know a person's real name and I search by pe- under the people tab to try to figure out what their Twitter name is. But maybe search will uh, start getting better. Hmm. Hey, you guys remember that Apple subscription scheme where Apple gets a cut of the revenue of publishers? Yep. It had a little bit of opposition. Well, the Financial Times is one of those. It wants to start selling its uh, subscriptions directly to consumers instead of using the Apple Store system. So I guess they're uh, getting ready to have a little staring contest. Who do you think was going to blink? <laughs> financial Times is like, no, 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 we're different. We're Financial Times. Yeah. I know you want to make these rules for everybody, but we're Financial Times. <laughs> Don't you understand? Apple's like... You're still going to have to pay your cover. Yeah, yeah. Apple's like, let's tango. You're not getting in the club. A San Francisco ordinance states that cell phone packaging must include radiation level information right on the box. The CTIA is fighting this ordinance, saying it conflicts with the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, particularly the free speech provisions of said amendment. The CTIA is also arguing that giving this information to consumers will confuse them, which, if you don't know what the RAD means, it is, could possibly that be confusing. That is how confusement gets confusion. 
Confusement? <laughs> yeah. See? I'm confused. Already. Very confused. <laughs> Friend of Twit, Kevin Rose, has gone public with his new company venture, and it's called Milk. The company will be small to start, uh, comprising of Rose and five others, uh, one being Daniel Berker, who's the former head of design at Dig. Milk says its aim is to build mobile apps that solve industry problems, and they're expected to try a slew of different concepts under the company name. Let's hope they don't discriminate against the lactose intolerance. I was just hoping they'd do a body good. I think they'd like to do both. And somebody can make the got milk joke now. Right. All right. Uh, And Gadget reporting that bionic eyes are closer to human trials than ever with the invention of an implantable microchip. Uh, Bionic Vision Australia has come out with this microchip that packs 98 electrodes in a five square millimeter area that stimulates retinal cells to restore vision. Wow. Wow. I wonder what that means in terms of like resolution, you know, or, or if you would see in kind of the way that Jordi LaForge saw. On, you know, on it's the, next the quality generation. of the processing, not the megapixels, Darren. I understand that. You're right. And, and the eyes do have pretty good optics, but, you know. This is pretty, uh, this is a pretty incredible uh, development here. I love this idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm kind of slowly going blind in my right eye, so I'm hoping that by that the time right? I go all the way, you know, they'll have something like that ready for me to go. Then I can be, you know, hacked bionic, and that'd be awesome. That would be. It's sort of your own personal Kurzweil moment. Like, he wants yeah, to live yeah. it long enough to live forever. You want to have your eye work long enough to be replaced by a bionic <laughs> eye. Yeah. And if you could get exactly. this and then tie it in with a little bit of augmented reality as well, then there you go. No need for funny glasses or anything. All right, let's move on to the calendar. Larry Page takes over as CEO of Google today. Welcome back, Larry. Larry, we missed you. To your CEO seat, I mean. Right. Uh, coincidentally, the uh, Senior Vice President of Product Management, Jonathan Rosenberg, just resigned from Google today, this Interesting afternoon, timing, actually. Jonathan. Uh, Rosenberg has been with Google since uh, 2002, so quite a long time. We know that Larry Page is big on product, so yeah. no word on whether it's some sort of clash or someone left in a huff or, or Jonathan said, just didn't realize what day it was or he was like oh you know maybe I shouldn't have picked I that day I gave my two yeah. weeks notice they told I, me not to do April 1st because then people wouldn't believe it yeah <laughs> you know it must be musical chairs day too you know maybe there's like a tech cakewalk going on there is uh, Red Snow's untethered jailbreak for iOS 4.3.1 released for Windows and OS 10 but lacks iPad 2 support on this day in 1975, which was 36 years ago, Bill Gates and Paul Allen formed a little partnership. Didn't even name it at first. Yeah, they were just going to do some work together. Yeah, and then six months later, they called it Micro-Soft. Hmm. <laughs> that sounds a lot better than the, the, the Gates and Allen project. That was the, that might have been the original name. You think so? Alan Parsons <laughs> gave him a cease they and couldn't desist. Figure out, no, we're going to call it Allen's and Gate Project. Yeah, uh, yeah, let's yeah. just call it Microsoft. Or tax uh, soft. Tax soft. <laughs> AT&T is going to make you pay even more for an iPhone. That's if you don't already qualify for subsidized pricing. It's going to be an extra 50 bucks for those people. Uh, this price hike also applies to other smartphones, but, you know, iPhone users in particular are going to shake some Yeah, they raise fists. the price on all their phones, essentially, right. but iPhone gets the headline because, well, it's iPhone. Right, exactly. Later this month, Panasonic will be launching the 100 gigabyte BD REXL disc, otherwise known as the rewritable Blu-ray discs. And on May 3rd, the voice-to-text service Jot is shutting down. I never used it, but if you did... You can't anymore after May 3rd <laughs> anyway. Bad. Did you Did you like it? Are you going to miss it? Uh, I can't say as I'll miss it. I, I used to use it. Uh, right now, Google Voice has really taken over for all of my texting needs. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't say that I'm going to miss it too much right now. I'm sorry to say, John. That's why they're going away. And Google was just yeah. such a great job. I mean, yeah. a hilarious yeah, fun job. <laughs> on to the emails, TNT at twit.tv. Scott Hansen wrote in and said, uh, you talked on Thursday's show about Google standardizing Android to keep the feel of the interface similar. Well, I'm on Google's side. Last November, my family bought three Samsung Fascinates. Uh, I believe that's a uh, Samsung S, Galaxy S phone. I was told earlier this week from Verizon Tech Support, the Fascinate may never get Android 2.2 because they can't get it to run smoothly with the extra bloatware they add to the code. Bloatware was my term, not theirs. At one point, the rep even suggested that some people have installed unofficial versions of 2.2 on their Fascinates. He quickly then backpedaled after I asked if a Verizon employee was recommending that I root my phone and void my warranty. As much as I love Android, this is just one example of the problems with the OS being too fragmented. That's why Google wants to get control back. Yeah. Also, why Google has moved a bunch of uh, the advancements into the individual apps themselves, pulling out Gmail and Maps, you know, taking them away from the OS so that they can update them separately, which is definitely a very good thing. So you can get a lot of the new toys in Google Maps or in Gmail without having to have the latest flavor of Android. Yeah, and honestly, we just need we need time for competition to work this out. Well, we need time and competition. Uh, so that people realize, oh, you know what, if I buy that phone, I don't get all the bloatware and I do get uh, the updates. I don't think people have wrapped their heads around that idea because for so many years the carriers have controlled the firmware updates. Uh, People aren't used to having that iPhone model where you get them whenever they're released. All right, next And we're expecting that with Honeycomb, I'm sorry, we're expecting that with Honeycomb, Google will also take more control over what kind of customizations are allowed within the OS, which hopefully, again, will, will help to help solve this problem. I, I hope they can do that and, and, and start being more open instead of less open uh, with the source code, though. There's a, we, we talked about that story last week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next email from Alok Prasad. I hope I'm saying your name right. It's a really cool name. In your recent episodes, you all have indicated a preference for pure streaming options where one doesn't uh, upload one's own files to the cloud, but just streams music in an unlimited fashion without owning the files thanks to progressive licensing attitudes from music labels. In may- many cases, this isn't the best option, though. Most of my music is from foreign sources, Asian Indian music, or old and obscure or discontinued vinyl or CDs that won't make it into the cloud because their publisher either doesn't exist or is unlikely to cloudify its collection of songs. My mp3 files are the only way for me to listen to my rare and unique collection of music. So I welcome Amazon's move and I hope Apple does something similar soon. I hope that the cost of hosting mp3s comes down though. I have about um, one and a half terabytes of music. It's too expensive for me to put them all on Amazon's cloud. So the syncing process lives on as far as I'm concerned. Very good point. Yeah, Uh, Cloud isn't uh, for every every file. But you know in like 50 years when everything's on the cloud, you know, MP3 will be the next final. There you go. I dream of the day when I can throw away every CD and delete every MP3 and just have everything be available all the time. Yeah. Every device fit. Well, and I've got a little bit like a loke in that, you know, I have lots of of weird stuff that I've dug up here and there. Or, you know, there's that Nerdcore sampler that came out uh, recently, you know, that downloaded. I don't know if that's available on Amazon, but I've got it. And I, I just want the stuff that I have collected to be available and and something like Spotify, RDO, those things are great, but they don't necessarily have the the oddities. And mm-hmm. everybody's got a few oddities that they like, some more than others, obviously. Well, that's the beauty of liking the music that you like is you don't want to mm-hmm. just yeah. have yeah. the access to the same one hundred albums that everybody else has. There's a ton of like independents that aren't on labels, like you say, these oddities. I like Dale Chase. He's as odd as they come. 
<laughs> <laughs> well, and another part of this too, only because I've only recently started playing around with this app called uh, Audio Galaxy. Android, it uses your collection at home as the server to stream it to your phone. So you have your entire collection there. as long as you're willing to leave your computer on at yeah, home. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, then you're not syncing anything in the cloud. You, the cloud you is are your, your home cloud. machine. Yeah. yeah. All right, uh, Darren, uh, thanks again. As always, have, good to have you on Mondays. Uh, let folks know what's going on at Hack5. Ooh, Shannon just did a great segment on going ahead and doing some session hijacking, stealing those cookies even on encrypted networks. Find it over at hak5.org. And Tim Stevens, once again, congratulations, editor-in-chief at Engadget.com. Uh, let folks know uh, what's going on over there. Uh, well, I mean, we've got breaking news going on all the time, so it's the, the the same as it always is. We've got uh, lots of news coming through. That's that's it right now. And thanks for uh, taking the time to talk with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to uh, come again anytime you'd like me. Well, we'd love to Absolutely. have you on uh, again when you are not the news. Yes, and sometime <laughs> when I'm perhaps on a better connection. With yeah, the, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're going as well. Might be good. Yeah, that'll be great. <laughs> thanks again, Tim, and thanks everybody uh, for watching. Twit.tv slash TNT is the place to find us on the web. You can email us TNT at twit.tv or give us a call. Our Google Voice number is two six zero TNT Show. See you tomorrow.